Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG. Brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe. I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. So today we're talking with Brad Pierce. Welcome. Nice to be talking to you. Nice to be here. I don't know if I introduce you. This is Rocket. Hi. (laughs) And I'm Gary, and that's a whole other story that we'll save. So for our audience, Brad is the Chief Transformation Officer for Sustainability Mindshift. You started there in 2001 of May, and we're a growing community of practice that gathers of global thought leaders, practitioners, and world-leading experts who are passionate about sustainability and regenerative business transformation through leadership development, organization development, and systems innovation. I love it, and we're going to dig into that. You're also the principal and founder of Seeds Strategy, your firm, and we're going to talk about this too. Seeds Strategy focuses on the people side of sustainability, and it's all about people. You're also a senior consultant at Transitioning to Green. And Transitioning to Green is a global sustainability management consulting firm providing leading-edge client solutions to a wide variety of challenges facing business and organizations from all sectors. We help leaders think in a new and creative ways to be more innovative, collaborative, and effective. Also, your other role is a senior consultant for Sustainability Roundtable. And Sustainability Roundtable, Inc. is the leader in outsourced environmental, social, and governance engagement. There are many other roles, but I think those, those are really what's interesting to us. You have an MA in Sustainable Business from George Washington University. Welcome to Sustainable Minds. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. So your resume and all that I've read is fascinating, and I want to jump into those endeavors. But first, I want to get a little personal. I want to ask, how did you arrive here? I kind of want to know, when you were young, what did you dream of? What did you like doing? Also, maybe what inspired you when you were young? Those are great questions. Thank you. The complicated web we weave in our life, right, to get to where we are today. Looking back at my childhood to answer that question, I know that one thing I loved to do was sit outside and watch the world go by. (laughs) That may sound simple, and it was. And it's something I've thought about a lot, actually, in my journey today and the importance of taking the time to slow down and taking the time to watch ants build their ant hill, observing nature and understanding how it works. And it starts to give you an appreciation for the magnificence of everything that exists, all of life here on earth, and makes you feel quite small, actually. (laughs) Yeah, sure does. And I guess to answer the other question, who was I inspired by? Many different inspirations throughout different eras of my life, epochs of my life. But I think at an early age, I was certainly inspired by my father, who's no longer around, but he led with his heart. He was always leading with his heart. And I've had a, as you can see from my LinkedIn and, and my background, a journey. It's, I've gone through many different phases and it's been, I'm a curious learner, clearly, and been part of my evolution. But one of the things early on when I went off to Guatemala to work in rainforest conservation, my father was the kind of guy that instead of saying, well, no, I think you should, he was a banker. Instead of 
instead of doing that, maybe you should get into banking, Brad, and look, how do you make money and support yourself, especially if you want to have a family someday and all the practical things. He said, follow your heart because it will always work out no matter what. So I appreciated that. Great advice. Great advice. Great advice. You don't always get that from your father, but great advice. Okay, let's jump in. Let's start with Sustainable Mind Shift, where you are the Chief Transformation Officer. I find what you do fascinating, and it touches a lot of what we do. So there, you're exploring what it takes to be a sustainability leader today, specifically the skills, capabilities, and mindsets that are essential for success, and how to leverage a variety of experiential learning methodologies to accelerate net positive impacts and results. So series of things here. What does it take to be a sustainability leader? Starting with the mindset is so important, and that's why I'm so happy that you all are focused on that. And we're seeing an increasing, not only presence of mindset-related consultancies and teachers and wise practitioners, but also the practice of it. Mindfulness is something that's entering corporate boardrooms today and emotional intelligence, empathy, those kinds of things are pieces of the puzzle. But it goes back to sort of the, the reason I started this four years ago and officially launched a couple of years ago is that I was, as a practitioner at a bank here on the East Coast, I was frustrated by the fact that sustainability had been siloed, as many organizations silo their departments. But Working with senior leaders, I could see that many of them, their values were aligned around sustainability. I mean, who doesn't want to help create a thrivable planet, right? Unless you're really greedy and quite evil. Their values were aligned and their intent was there to try to help the organization be more sustainable. But when the, what's the right phrase, when their nose hit the grindstone or when the blank hit the fan. I mean, when stuff became difficult, as it increasingly is in today's complex world and VUCA world, as we say, sustainability always took a backseat. And so that frustration, actually, I had an aha moment myself. I was working after the bank. I worked for a leadership development consulting company who taught leadership and they used business simulations as their primary methodology. Saw that. Yeah, very exciting. It was really an eye-opener for me. I'd done some leadership development work at the bank, but as I was facilitating these business simulations and seeing how quickly quite senior people could shift their mindsets about something like strategy execution, for example, or business acumen, or at a more mid-level or junior level, how to shift your mindset from being a manager to a leader and the difference. These simulations through experiential learning, through putting people into practice fields, in this case, a a computer simulation and role-playing, and giving people the opportunity to try out different strategies of their own, fall back on old behaviors or learn by failing, observe how others around the room were making certain sets of decisions, seeing the results of those decisions in terms of more complicated set of systems impacts and how that relates to the bottom line in a short period of time. And then having some feedback and reflection on how you made that decision, how your mindset drove that decision, what behaviors you were exhibiting. That gives people insights to how to do things differently the next time. And then you put them back into not the same situation, but you put them back into that cycle. You do that a few rounds and you start to really gain better understanding of how you need to look at the world differently, how you need to look at your business and your role differently, specifically how you're communicating, how you're relating to your team, et cetera, all these things. So that in the future, when you're presented with a situation that brings you out of your comfort zone, instead of falling back on old behaviors, you're going to actually start the process of moving in the right direction that the company wants you to. 
And so I know I'm dragging this story out, but the long story short is that the aha moment for me is I realized this is something sustainability leaders right. need, or I should say leaders need to bring sustainability to life in their organizations. They need that capability of seeing the context of it in their role and their job. Yeah. So that was my... I think a lot of leaders need an aha moment. And how do you get that aha moment to be sustainable once they realize that one thing, that they're not going to go back to their old ways? You're obviously getting them out of their comfort zone. This is sort of change management. This is transformational for them. I would imagine many times it goes contrary to their education and what they learned early in their career. Yeah. Well, it's also the evolution of the way that sustainability itself has become of age. And it seems like a lot of the ESG leaders who were those siloed people, all of a sudden you're in a situation now where you've got to be able to develop leadership qualities and attributes and ways of communicating and collaborating with people because it's become so cross-functional in a corporation. The need for bringing together so many different parts and strategies, um, sustainability really touches everything. So I can see how that would help because some of the people that were ESG managers from were more just data people and used to being working on their own and just providing the numbers and doing the compliance documents in Europe or wherever, the global. And it's now a different animal because it's really has been embraced by the financial community, mainly. I mean, I feel like that's been one of the biggest stimuluses has been the in ESG investment community that's put the pressure on companies to take this seriously and to incorporate it into their business strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. It's exciting what's going on, to your point. I think it's really important for leaders today, especially to have more systems awareness and systems thinking capabilities. So those are, for example, skills in addition to the mindsets they need. But we have the luxury as sustainability practitioners to look out across and down into the various departments and silos and understand the organization in a way that many people don't get the chance to do that, to your point. That's just internal too. And then to be able to look at the organization and see its role and its impacts within the context of society and the planet as well. Really important for leaders to start that, to practice that skill, start to practice making decisions within those contexts and be able to zoom out and zoom back in at the macro and micro level. And it doesn't mean you have to be an expert in sustainability or climate science or anything like that, but to at least have the wherewithal to pause before you make a decision is my goal, to get people to have a lens and a little sort of voice on their shoulder to just pause for a minute and say, do I understand the full picture here? And if I don't, who do I need to bring to the table to understand this thing that I'm about to make a decision about better? So maybe this touches on, I want you to describe for me, and maybe we're doing that, regenerative business transformation. Yeah, wow. That is a whole podcast on its own. (laughs) We could do it after the first of the year. (laughs) No, yeah. It's a transformational journey I've been on myself, which is really interesting personally and professionally in the last specifically year, but more like 18 months. One of my first, so I started a podcast around sustainability mindship back last August in 2021. And my first guest was a guy named Giles Hutchins, who's a leadership development expert, specifically regenerative leadership. 
expert and it lives in the UK. And he uses nature emergence as a form of experiential living to train people to understand living systems principles, which is really what regeneration is. It's about using life as a metaphor instead of using the machine as a metaphor, which we are often doing today. We create construct of our reality is really based on machine thinking, linear, reductionist, mechanistic type of things that we've just all been programmed to think of over the last four or 500 years. So that is starting to change and more and more people are starting to see the value of regeneration as the step beyond sustainability. It's what Andrew Winston talks about really in his net positive. I don't think he uses the word regeneration necessarily, but it's similar in the sense that we have to be able to mimic living systems in the way that we are regenerate. Everything that we do should be in the service of life that is regenerating itself. It's regenerating life. It's not degenerating it and destroying it, which we've done through our extraction and other processes. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll we'll come back in and do some after the first of the year because I love this. On, on the branding side of our business, I use a process I've developed. I call it heart and soul. I just really want to get down one-on-one or with groups, but re- what would people really feel and care about and do? We can intellectualize anything or rationalize anything, but it's really when you get to that core feeling that's could be pretty powerful. So you've hit the nail on the head. And this is something I'm working with right now. I'm designing a program for sustainability practitioners specifically with a brilliant woman who used to run Presidio schools, Cynthia Scott. And we are looking at really bringing this, you said it yourself, there's a lot more to our intelligences and our experiencing of life and our decision-making than our heads. And we've gotten so caught up in our analytical capabilities and decision-making, but paying attention more to other parts of your consciousness, including your heart and your gut and your spirit. And I'm glad to see that's already starting to enter business worlds anyways, which is where I'm focused. But it's a natural part of the inner journey, the inner understanding of yourself that is a reflection of the outer world around you. We're all part of nature intimately. So the journey inward helps you understand the outer world. When you go out walking in nature, it helps you understand yourself. It's all connected. Let's shift to uh, seed strategies. The description is, and I love this, seed strategies focuses on the people side of sustainability. What do you mean by that? Well, sustainability is such a broad term. (laughs) Certainly Um, is. Yeah. And so there's many facets to it. And a lot of sustainability today clearly is focused on carbon emissions reductions and renewable energies. And there's lots of technical aspects. And we have no problem with our human ingenuity to come up with the technical solutions. In fact, I think we have enough to help, I don't want to say solve today's problems because then that's not a regenerative term with it. What the regenerative community would say is, you know, we need to sense into the emerging future and we need to be able to let the dying systems die around us. And part of doing that is going to be a technical response to the changing systems, which is happening in the energy sector clearly, drastically, to address climate. And big part of it, the part I'm fascinated by is the human psychology piece and people side of it. So it's how do we, A, raise people's awareness, B, how do we connect with their hearts to make whatever the messages we're trying to tell them to do, if it's their corporate goals, connect those goals with their hearts. So there's an emotional connection. C, how do we get them actually doing something and by somatically getting involved in something, using your body, planting a tree, whatever it is, saving paper, literally, or turning lights off. I mean, there's, there's simple things, but broadly speaking, you, you, there's a deeper level of connection beyond your brain. And then, and then how do we also help these folks that are getting inspired in their organization become their own advocates among their circles of influence? Because that's really important too. A lot of engagement programs focus on 
sort of the center, the core, like sustainability team engaging outwards to the employees. And I think what needs to happen more is to find those centers of influence. And it's happening, but not enough. Enable them with the skills through training and other methodologies to have them influence their peers. Because we're going to listen to the person that we trust as opposed to, who's this corporate guy (laughs) telling me what to do? I want to drill down a little bit if it's possible. Part of the description talks about engage and energize employees. So explain how you make that happen or, yeah, sort of a but. but Go a little bit more on that if you can. Yeah, I think the process I just described, as Rocket pointed out, um, that helps explain with focusing on the head and the heart and the hands. As we, this was a process we called it in uh, at the bank I worked. We designed a, a formula: head, heart, hands, horn. The horn is the bullhorn that's influencing your peers around you. And if you get people engaged in that process, as important is the experiential learning cycle. So, getting people engaged in something where they're learning, they're getting feedback, and they're reflecting. They're looking deeper inside themselves to better understand themselves and their, their, how they relate to the world and each other around them. That in and of itself, I think, is causes deeper connection to happen and causes more engagement and allows people to start to, especially you guys talk about values in some of your podcasts. It's really important to help people understand where they're connected with their values with the, with yeah. the, the, the it, organization. It reminds me of what we do, what we did when we worked with Avery well, actually, in, and Disney and their in, on their internal brand, where you put together an employee, an ambassador for, and it's like you can energize these people who step up from every part of the company and, and have a natural interest and enthusiasm for sustainability and sort of create sustainability ambassadors. Then, as you say, I think trust that people already know and trust within their part of the company that they can really touch those people a lot easier and ignite something within them differently than somebody who is just from the sustainability team. There are so many people within companies that want to contribute more to leadership and and want a voice that if you give them that opportunity and then they come together in some kind of internal social media sort of mechanism, they can really influence not only the leaders themselves and cause that that's really, to me, that's how it can quickly change. Because I think so much of ESG has started to be mainstream. And so you have more and more people within your company who are already composting at home and doing things within their individual lives that they would like to become more complete by participating in things at work that really express who they are and what they believe. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a two-sided coin, I'm hearing you say, from the need for leaders to be able to, as they should do as a good leader, open doors, clear the path for their teams, for the employees to accomplish whatever their mission is, whatever their goal is, whatever they're set out to do in their team environment. And so leaders need to be able to engage and empower and excite their employees around sustainability to then allow that employee to flourish and innovate and connect with other passionate people across the organization. So I've seen organizations where there's a good base of employee interest, but it's being contained 
or squashed by leadership or vice versa when you have a leadership, even at a C-suite level that is completely gets it and, and is trying to align the organization to move down the path of sustainability. But yet there's a layer of leadership that's not allowing it to move those communications and that, you know, that culture or even employees that just haven't been given, the, they haven't been enabled, they haven't been given the right tools and the right relationality, right? opportunities to relate to each other internally to create that momentum. Do you think that the linking the sustainability to pay performance and having incentives in that way is really something that's it will would help or this sort of exchange or change that people would be more accountable for really letting the ESG behaviors go up and down, change the minds yeah. of managers both and of employees, both both directions. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm pausing on this only because my first gut response is yes, absolutely, because money is a driver for people and it forces people, especially in business, to focus their attention and time where they're getting paid or where they're getting measured, right? At the same time, I think that is a good motivator, but partnered with that, there needs to be efforts, again, in training and exposure at this leader level, immersion, whatever it might be, in building the connection to the message, having it's, it's shifting, helping start to shift their mindset. Because if that doesn't happen, then again, sustainability just becomes about money for them. And it's misleading in that regard. They sort of miss the boat on that. And so I think that can be dangerous too, if you're just people start to game systems just because they're it's the, for the KPI or the money and they're not really getting the bigger picture. Well, we do for very, I mean, ESG reporting, people have started their journey and they're committed to reporting, but it seems like less are committed to educating their employees. And we do a, a quarterly thing for Avery where we're trying to explain Avery's sustainability actions to their employees so they can understand where they fit in and how they can contribute. And I think that's something, that's a trend that we really haven't seen being mainstreamed yet, but should be. 35,000 employees in 50 countries. And uh, when the new CEO took over, he added sustainability to one of their values. And you have seen, I've seen a lot of people like to talk the talk, but it's really when you see those people really walk it and really live it and feel it. So, and then their actions back that up, not only in the sustainability, but the way that they communicate and relate and connect with the people. I'm curious about what was teed up number three on your resume. And you're a senior consultant at Transitioning to Green. Is this very close in to all the things you're doing or what is kind of unique and special about transitioning to green? Yeah, it's perfectly related. Actually, in my journey, early journey of expanding my network in this sort of concept of shifting mindsets, actually, a lot of my network has grown in Europe. There's a lot of practitioners there beautifully coming together from organizational design and cognitive behavior, systems thinking, consciousness all sorts of different expertise areas that are working hard together to evolve organizations really at the end of the day. There's a neat thing that came out of Sweden called the Inner Development Goals, the IDGs. 
which is something I'm helping promote here in the United States and looking to form a little hub here in the Boston area for them. And that's really a compliment to the SDGs because, as you know, the UN has been saying for years, it's a decade of action. And part of the problem is when I've heard it over and over again, and I'm even more aware of it, is it's sort of like, we know what we need to do. We've got the technical solutions that are said, now just go do it. And we know we need to walk the walk. And all the talk that we do as as sustainability consultants and management consultants and government officials and just do it. Like we know what we need to do. And that's been my biggest pain point because now I have much more compassion for the leaders that are showing up at the World Economic Council and everything else that being told to just do it when they literally lack the lens that I've developed over 25, 30 years in sustainability that I'm feeling blessed to have in this perspective of the world. It doesn't make me any better than them, but it's just different. It's a different way of looking and relating. And so how do we teach them without (laughs) taking 25 years because we don't have the time? That's the biggest factor in this all. How do we do that and shift their mindsets in the matter of few days, again, just at, a, at a, even a basic level or mm-hmm. over the course of a, a few months or a, a year-long journey. I'm on this regenerative leadership journey with a woman named Laura Storm who co-wrote Regenerative Leadership with Giles Hutchins, who I mentioned earlier. I love the inner development goals. So that's something that uh, it's kind of special. I'm talking about the businesses that you're involved with because I think our audience, uh, we have several goals in doing this podcast. But it, one is like bringing things to people that they aren't aware of. So mm. I don't mean this a, a promotional for the businesses that you're associated with, but I think it's interesting. Personally, I think it's interesting. So yeah, um, I'd love to just yeah mention because you did ask about transition to green, and I'd, I'd love to toot their horn just for a second because yeah. they are wonderful people that were way ahead of their time. These are all senior sustainability practitioners in the form of Gina Wurtenberg, who's been she's with Rutgers is her full-time work. And she's been leading HR and sustainability since for two decades, way beyond, way like you, like way ahead of your time with mm-hmm. reporting, right? And Bill Russell, who's been, he was involved early on in the management consulting industry. And I think he even was working closely with the dream team that Ray Anderson put together early in the days, forming the interface. He and I shared a wide network of the, I call them the grandfathers of sustainability or grandmothers of sustainability corporate sustainability. And then Linda Kelly, who's a business ecologist, who's a fantastic, brilliant thinker who understands experiential learning well and has facilitated a lot of programs. But the reason I say that is because you said it earlier, it it is the time now, things are coming together. There's a convergence of these expertise areas in Europe and it's starting to, I'm trying to bring it more over to the US. There's a convergence of what these folks that transitioned to green before I joined them had been doing way ahead of their time. They wrote the field book of sustainability, which you can find online which has got all this stuff about systems thinking and it was written a decade ago. I think it's interesting because I was reading an article in Harvard Business Review just recently how they were talking about the sea of sameness that now ESG reporting, although it's coming to age and more people are producing reports and will, it will probably, quotation marks, it will become regulated here in the United States, at least some of the ESG disclosures, climate first and then others to follow, I'm sure. But what is interesting about it is that they reviewed 200 reports and of 200 corporations, and they were saying that they're doing a good job, but everyone's stuck in this, in doing this, the benchmarking with peers and with that they aren't, at this point, there are very few that are standing out as far as 
really sticking their neck out to demonstrate or to... And I wonder, it made me wonder that since, I mean, it's pretty well proven and PCW and just recently in a survey stated that most people today and asset managers are seeing that their ESG funds are performing better long-term than their other funds. And so as you start seeing this argument that sustainability will give you better financial returns long-term, are people going to be start looking into granular things about, well, are they doing this leadership development of mind shifts to sustainability with their people? Are they educating? Will those become differentiators that you then really have to like blow up in your books so that you aren't just everything being the same? Will those be the differentiators for companies to really become true leaders? Yeah, I 100% believe so. That building the leadership capacity and the culture around this stuff is going to separate the wheat from the chaff or whatever that phrase is. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is going to differentiate companies and from those that are going to survive and thrive and those that aren't. As Gary knows, I mean, in the reporting world, I've been really surprised. And this is something I was sort of shooting, touting, shouting from the soapbox several years ago on LinkedIn and other other channels that I'd see these annual reports, these sustainability reports or impact reports, and if in or even GRI section of it before ESG. And if you look down at the development piece, the human capital piece. It's just, it was like this tiny little block and it would say like, oh yeah, that we're offering leadership development opportunities. That's about as vague as it would be. And I'd say, what about how you're developing them, how you're the capacity and the skills and the, the mindsets and especially around sustainability, it is going to be the differentiator for sure. And really at the end of the day, it's going to be, this has been my calling and what keeps me up at night because I fully believe that it's our only way to survive at the end of the day, is because we have to navigate the change that's happening around us successfully. We have to be able to align our businesses around living systems, which is really the end goal beyond sustainability. And we have to be able to innovate. And like you said, you were talking about, you know, what are the, how do we take something like ESG and make sense of it beyond the numbers? My fear is that we're going to get, it's another thing we're going to get so wrapped up in the KPIs and then the number side of it that we're going to, again, miss the picture. (laughs) Yeah, there's too much of a box checking mentality. And I often ask people, well, is this a risk mitigation endeavor or is it a value creation endeavor? Mm -hmm. And that answer tells us a lot when we're talking to people and and approaching them. And also, I mean, it seems so simple because for years we've said our people are our difference. Well, I mean, if truly your talent, your people are your difference, which is totally a true statement, the potential of what you can unlock with your people should be something that you pursue. But, and in that way, sort of interesting where sustainability has to is breaking out of being just data. But what you're talking about and the types of leadership development, people development, talent development that you're talking about is something way beyond that. But it's something that's so powerful that it would really transform culture and it just seems really exciting for to be a part of an organization that is truly doing that. What would that really be like? Yeah, 
just using the, again, regenerative thinking and living systems or life as the metaphor. I love a lot of, if you look at the roots of words, even they're so important, our language, right? What do we use to express and talk and communicate and relate to one another? You'll find yourself starting to say a lot of stuff that we've been trained to do in mechanical ways and sort of machine-like thinking in linear ways. And just that language and that hyper-competition and everything starts to shape reality, right? But if you look at you said organizations that are truly breathing life into the organization by focusing on people inside of them. Organization and organism both have the root words in Latin that come from the same thing. And they really are organisms. They are made up of living people. And that's the beauty. And the, the, yeah. the, the, mm. the, yeah. it's the essence like of an organization is its people. And if you miss the boat on that, you're again. You're yeah. Gonna, but also you touch on this in your business. People want a leader that they can relate to, that they can believe in, that can, that they can trust. And so a lot of the work you do in leadership development, it's pretty crucial to that. I'm going to kind of wrap it up here a little bit. And I'm going to ask you a question I ask almost all the guests, just kind of curious. And we've talked about some really great stuff here today. But if you were advising a small company, a small cap, mid cap company, and they're just entering this world of sustainability. What advice would you give them? What are like the two, three things that they really should focus on and care about? I would say the first thing to do is to find the people internally that really care about this and sit down and think about what they want out of sustainability, what they think, how do they define sustainability? What does it mean to them? What's their vision of a sustainable future for themselves? So it's a bit of a visioning process. And then the second step, which is close to the first step, which is I tell all the companies I work for that are smaller companies just getting their foot started or even medium companies that have a CSR strategy and they've got their environmental side of the house, the green operations, et cetera, is to do a materiality study if they haven't done that. Because what that starts to do is look at their entire business ecosystem and starts to pay attention to things like what your stakeholders value and care about. So you're paying attention to, and your employees, if you've seen a materiality analysis that basically plots, yeah, what's important to the business versus what's important to all your stakeholders. And that in and of itself starts the process of evolving those sensory capacities of this organism, of this organization in tuning into its business ecosystem around it and finding out, hey, you can actually learn a lot about your own purpose. Is my purpose aligned with my stakeholders or did we just come up with this purpose because it sounded good? You know? mm-hmm. And is what are we doing right now to reduce our impact and increase, reduce negative impact and increase our positive impact that's in aligned with our stakeholders. And it starts to help these companies that are smaller and don't have a lot of resources and time and all the other things to prioritize. So they can really effectively use their resources, their time and money and people to set the right goals and achieve those goals within their role within society and the planet. Terrific. I enjoyed this conversation. He kind of spoke to that. Hmm. So I'm not not Mm going to go there. Brad, thank you. Thank you for your time. It's really nice meeting you, Brad. Yeah. I may reach out after the first year and see if you want to talk about regenerative and all that. That sounds like it's an important conversation. And as uh, Rocket was pointing to, one of the questions I ask is five to 10 years, what does this look like? But I think the answer is around that. So thank you. I have one, one more, more question okay. for you. And that is, what do you see a leadership today is 
U.S. CEOs in the United States. There's a pretty short span (laughs) compared to some of what it takes to convert your business into really a sustainable business. And so I wonder like how much you feel that when management changes, the continuity stays. The continuum. Yeah, the continuum and the momentum building, how you can ensure that momentum building. I guess thinking about it, it would be about having leadership training methods that you could expose the new people to? Yeah, that's such a great question because that happens so much. And people say, oh, you know, we were on the right track and then we got a new whatever president or CEO and things changed. And I really think that boils down to having a foundational culture. If your culture is there, it's going to define your recruiting, who you're recruiting in for all levels, including the CEO and the senior leadership team. And so, because you want to obviously hire the people that fit that culture. And so if your culture is aligned around sustainability, you're going to be pulling people in that that ideally, hopefully should be, that's one of their values, as opposed to today, a lot of businesses, they say they're sustainable, they don't have the culture. And so they're still hiring people at the top that are pretty much solely focused on their own back pocket and, and making money for the business. And that's about it, you know, bottom line. And well, I would add to that. I think it's also a board responsibility and that the board is responsible for the transition of the company's leadership, that they carry on what the sustainability strategies are. Because today, sustainability strategy is business strategy, and board members are starting to get a little bit crucified for not holding people accountable. So I think that's... Yeah, thankfully. That's one of the beautiful things about ESG is that it is starting to hold people's hands to the fire, which is needed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, great speaking with you, Brad. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Take Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing. It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com. See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG.